podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show, Edge Rush. Still no opening show jingle, no promo, no title credits, no TikTok, but we don't need any of that when we got Propo in the house. Yeah, how are we doing that? All good. Crazy game last night. Absolutely crazy finish to the wasn't uh, Arizona Cardinals green. I mean, wasn't it just? I, I mean, the, the Packers looked like they had it, should have had it. I mean, it was there was some suspicious calls going on, I would like to say. Uh, I think suspicious forces at work trying to preserve this unbeaten record of the cards and I think the Packers should have lost in the end but at the same time if they had I think would have felt suitably aggrieved wouldn't they oh definitely I mean I probably stayed up a little bit too late last night watching the first half of the game and the first half from what I saw was a bit of a coaching mismatch I think Matt LaFleur completely had Cliff Kingsbury's number from pretty much both sides of the ball I mean basically what the Packers did was just suck the life out of the Cardinals and Mm basically prevented them from gaining any momentum by building really long drives, using AJ Dillon just to absolutely run over this banged up defensive unit. I mean, yeah. they really missed JJ Watt, I think, that's for sure. Yeah, that is huge. We, we were talking about that with, with Shane Vereen, actually. Shane, our, our special guest this week on the Week 8 preview show, that is dropped now, so you can go and listen to it if you haven't already. And yeah, the loss of JJ Watt, particularly, he, Shane is making the great point, and we're, of course, talking about a Super Bowl champ here who has been at the most successful franchise of all time. And he was saying his concern about the Cardinals is that they're raw. They don't have this depth of experience. If you compare them quite obviously in contrast to the Bucks, so they're just full of, full of seasoned vets and winners. And, and the Cards don't have many of those. Obviously, J.J. Watt was the exception to that rule. So I know he'll be around the organization, but it's not the same thing, right? I think it's not just his productivity on the field, but his... Uh, his input and his influence in the locker room and around that young franchise, I think is not to be underestimated. And I think it's an alarming loss for the Cardinals, realistically. I'm feeling pretty smug this morning, as listeners will know that I've been pretty down on the 7-0 Cardinals, or at least yeah. more down than most people have been. And I think if you're going to lose to a Green Bay Packers team without Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. Alan Lazard, Jad Alexander and David Bakhtiari, which arguably include three of their top four best players, then if you're going to come up against this team in the playoffs when those players are likely to be back, I think that doesn't spell uh, for a good sign for the Arizona Cardinals. And I think they got, I think we realised last night that they're potentially not as good as everyone thought they were. Mm. <laughs> I love the massive overreaction to a game that they would but, have won if... Uh... The thing is, though, is I think you should they should have been clearing away in that game. That's my issue. Is it's like you're going against that Packers defense, which Washington football team walked all over last week, even though they only scored 14 points. Yeah. Like Taylor Arnicky moved the ball freely, and you're coming at Kyler Murray when he had all of his weapons. Okay, he didn't have DeAndre Hopkins for the middle part of the game. He had all of his weapons, just a slightly banged up offensive line, and he mm. did, he stayed, he struggled. He threw two interceptions, two picks. Yeah. I know and the last he, one was a bit freakish, but you need to keep an eye on his injury as well. I did love the final word on this. I love the um, as the game was wrapping, Buck. It was either Buck or Aikman. Yeah, a, a coaching masterclass from uh, from Lafleur and Lafleur, who of course have been amongst the most vilified and under fire coaches <laughs> in the last uh, twelve to eighteen months, is suddenly now uh, a golden boy. Hey, oh, 
looking back at last week in edge rush uh, i thought we weren't going to do that i thought we were just going to have nice chats about arizona just, cardinals league. just a cu- couple of things for you okay just i mean these are things that maybe you can sketch out and i don't know put on post-it notes around the around the propo yeah the propo pad the around you know those stacks of data and charts and graphs just um the past cannot be changed there's a little there's a little uh Past cannot be changed. No, you're right. Overthinking will lead to sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Things always get better. Wait, what was that? With Overthinking can lead to sadness. Where have you got that one from? So the first thing I looked, I googled motivational quotes, and there's a there. It's a poster I think that you can buy from Amazon, which has twelve daily reminders on it. Um, what goes around comes around. Inspirational. <laughs> uh, you only fail if you quit. I like that one. I quite like that one. We, yeah, so that is quite have... nice. These are cr- these are seriously basic. I thought they were, these were going to be at least it's somewhat inspiring. Well, I fair enough. When we initially discussed, I thought you were going to come listeners... at me with Kipling. Uh, well, yeah. So when we initially discussed this, listeners, because we had our worst week of the season so far last week, right? I think it's fair to say. Although I don't think we're alone in that um, amongst uh, amongst many uh, many people around the world, it was a bad old week. We had suggested it was going to be a difficult week. I think we're a little bit more optimistic about this week. Uh, and we've uh, overall this season, we've been okay. We've been in good shape. So you, you win some, you lose some. Maybe that's what. Maybe I should send this motivational poster to Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I think he probably should. I think he needs it. Um, but he has got a long week to recover from it. I thought last week. Last week, I think the sad thing about it was. Mm is that there was a lot of bets which we were never in. Do you know what I mean? Where it was like, Mm. it seemed like, for example, my lock of the week, the New York Jets and the Patriots under. Yes. Was, I'd lost that. By the second quarter. Three minutes into the second half. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like, you don't even get the, the, the rush that we've put into edge rush. Sadly, you just get complete sadness from Mm. the off. Um, the only things that we went okay, my prop bets were okay. Yeah, I've gone back to back weeks, back to back weeks losing to Geno Smith covering in potentially the most frustrating way possible. That's why we avoided Seattle this week. Yeah, guess. how the Saints didn't cover on Monday night is mm-hmm. beyond me, considering how little offense the Seahawks were able to get going. Um, and we are, but we are in lockstep with our Drew Locks. We're five and two, and every single time, yeah. We've won, we've won together, and every time we've lost, we've lost together, which is quite cute now, at least. That's quite cute. Uh, I am so annoyed that the Rams blew my Drew Lock of the week because I thought, because I was watching the Patriots game, and the the brilliance of this is that I always back your... Uh, your picks, well, most of them anyway, and I mistakenly backed the over, not the, <laughs> not the under. <laughs> Pressed the wrong button in haste, and uh, and so I was laughing all the way uh, to the bank there, and of course laughing at, at the fact that you had spectacularly blowed it. And then Matt Stafford and Co went on to follow suit. So I appreciate that. Rams. Yeah, well, I didn't pr- click the wrong button. I took the Rams because of your pick, and it was mm. um, it yeah. never looked like never coming looked, off. Never was never coming no, off. never they looked like coming off. Big total again this week, which uh, we might come back to in a little bit. Three games we're looking at. Like I say, Shane Vereen in the house this week for our week eight preview. We get to a lot of other games with him on that show. Not necessarily breaking down the X's and O's per se. More firing questions about the teams involved and the season so far to Shane is a really, really fascinating chat because he brings his brilliant insight and he's a lot of fun as well. So go check out our weekend preview, Shane Vereen. Uh, right, let's get down to business. Starting with 
the Browns Steelers, or it's in Cleveland, so Steelers at Browns, I should be uh, precise there. These are all two sides very much in the middle of the pack right now. Uh, the Browns, yeah. because they're so banged up, that's why we expected them, and they probably would have been a lot better at this stage of proceedings if they hadn't suffered so many injuries. The Steelers, we figured they were going to be middle of the road at best, and that's kind of how they're playing out. The defense is balling, of course, and that's what's keeping them in. Are, are they in contention? I mean, are we taking the no. Steelers at all seriously for a, for an outside no. wildcard shot? We're not. No, no chance. So the focus really is on the Browns. First things first, fitness, right? So are we going to have Baker? Are we going to have Nick Chubb? What's the, what's the latest on injury here? We're recording this, of course, Friday morning. So Baker Mayfield has been training. Um, he's been training in full pads. And I think unless something bad happens the next couple of days, it looks like Baker probably will start. And that's that why the right I was... play, do you think? I'm not sure that like a banged up Baker at 65%. Is that the, is that the right play to take him? I think the one thing that they would, it's interesting because again, this game to me is just fascinating from a matchup perspective in the trenches, because you look at both sides of the ball and they've yeah. both got two of the best pass rushing units in the league effectively. And, and a decent Browns offensive line as well. They're, yeah. They're getting Conklin back, but they're still yeah. a little bit banged up. So that's, that's where it's interesting. So that's where I guess you said Baker, do you really want Baker Mayfield when he's already injured right. to go up against TJ Watt TJ and Cameron Watt Hayward? It, it, the most Browns thing ever. If, if they do that, they gamble and he's out for the, he's taken out for the season. Exactly. Wish exactly. That so that's where I think the issue Browns comes into it. So I'm not sure, but I think they, whether they've had Keenum or Mayfield, they still haven't had a great passing attack. They still had to have had to rely on this run game. So I kind of agree with you to a certain extent that potentially bringing Baker back prematurely doesn't make too much sense. But I think the one, Baker is notoriously bad under pressure, but I think Case Keenum is even worse. Yeah. So I think that might be the only argument to play Baker at all costs, just because they know he can probably handle and navigate this offense just a little bit better, get rid of the ball a little bit quicker. And he's also he's beaten, rec- and he's beaten the Steelers before as a, as a Cleveland Brown. He's smacked them. Yeah. 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 The, um, the receiving uh, core is banged up too. Right. So what's the, what are we expecting status wise? Cause this is why I'm scratching my head on this game. And it's difficult of course, to, to look at it on a Friday. And I guess we've got to put the asterisks next to it, that if these guys suit up, but there's all suiting up and then there's they, they're good to go, right? Sometimes we see a player given the nod and quite clearly they're not getting many looks and, and they are uh, not where they typically would be. But you've got Beckham, Jarvis, Chubb, all questionable. Uh, I think from what, so from what I've read, it sounds like Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb are going to play. I don't know on Odell Beckham Jr. yet, but does that really matter, to be honest, at this point mm. with the Cleveland Browns? You reckon they're going to deal Beckham before the deadline? I don't know if they'll deal him just because I don't know, because this is one of those classics where they would just wouldn't get any value for him right now because I don't yeah. think his value has... I don't think his, has Odell Beckham's value ever been lower, do you think, no, than right now? No, no, not a chance. No. So I think that you might as well just keep him for at least another season and see if you can get a stretch out of him. Which... I suppose it's the, it's the panic, panic buy or the, you know, the, the value now mid season in a trade deadline versus the off season. If he does 
next to nothing for the rest of this season, his value will be even lower, I guess. No, that is true. I guess we're just taking a gamble on him having some productivity when this team is less banged up. But I think if they've got Jarvis Landry and if they've got Nick Chubb, those are two massive players for them because that's Jarvis Landry is their sort of third and Landry kind of player when it is short yardage and they need a first down. Jarvis Landry is the person they go to. He's also reliable in the end zone. Um, and Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. He's one of the best running backs in the game. He's Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. Put it yeah. on a mug, put it on a t-shirt. It's yeah. another propo quote. The Oh, I know how much you love the percentage chance of winning in-game uh, numbers that, <laughs> that we uh, talk about a lot on our Red Zone show, which incidentally, I'm back in the hot seat this Sunday on TalkSport 2, five o'clock. Remember, the kickoffs are all five o'clock, the early kickoffs this weekend. So don't, don't miss the boat either if you're taking some action or with your fantasy teams. So five o'clock, Ben Isaac's in the house as well. Ollie Connolly is dropping by, is that right? Ollie Connolly is uh, dropping by. Yeah, no, it should be a great show. I had better bring my A game then uh, with those two in the house. And we love talking about it on, on the, on that show. If you haven't listened to that before, we are all across all the games red zone on the radio, essentially. So keeping you up to speed on everything that's happening and inevitably the percentage chance of winning it's ESPN, isn't it? The percentage chance of winning at, changes throughout the course of the game. And sometimes it's ridiculous how quickly it changes. So on that note, I I thought you'd like this. Uh, I didn't realize that um, uh, PFF are also, have also joined that party. Oh, and uh, PFF give Cleveland a, a, approximately a 50% chance of making the postseason right now. They're saying f- they're 50 50 PFF reckon based on the algorithm that they, <laughs> they're using this. Pittsburgh, what do you think Pittsburgh chance, Pittsburgh chance of making the postseason at pre week eight? So this week, PFF have said Pittsburgh have a what chance of making the postseason? I mean, they're only th- they are three and three to be fair, which isn't as bad as you think, but I still say what 25%. Bang on the money, Propo. 25%. Love that. I want to keep a close eye on that. Okay. So a couple of notes for you going forwards for Edge Rush. I want regular updates on percentage chances of making yeah. the playoffs because I, lo- I love them. And weather as well. We've got to start thinking a little bit more about weather now. We do I? need to start thinking a little Paying bit more about weather. So you're cool not, you're not wrong there, Nat. You're not wrong. So the numbers are what? We're looking at the Browns must be favourites, but I'm going to go three points. Yeah, the Browns are currently three and a half point favourites. The over-under is at 42 and a half. Interestingly, I think we've seen a big input of money on Cleveland since the news that Baker Mayfield is likely to start. Mm. I don't necessarily have a massive difference between Case Keenum and Baker Mayfield, amazingly, but I think that's just because, you know, Case Keenum is efficient, as we did see him last week against um, the Denver Broncos. But the money is still coming in. The the money is very much coming in on the over 42 Mm. and a half. It's dropped down from 43 and a half to 42 and a half. And I think now everyone is taking the over, which I'm not, I'm not too sure about to be completely honest with you. The under is one, four and one Pittsburgh's games this season. They are the most reliable under team there is apart from the Chicago bears. So it's, I don't see there being loads of points in this game. I think Tomlin will try and keep this close. You are the unders king of Plumpton. Let's remind uh, our listeners. So I'm not surprised you've gone there. Didn't Carlson say on our Monday show that the difference between Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum is negligible, which is maybe a little bit harsh on Baker, but bang up Baker. I'm kind of with him on that. Um, so am I. I mean, I just, I think you just know what you're going to get from Case Keenum, whereas you don't know what you're going to get from Baker Mayfield. I think the ceiling is higher with Baker Mayfield, but I think the floor is also lower. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that's exactly. the way you look at it. I think it's just whereas Case Keenum, you know you're just going to get an average performance from a quarterback. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, in this game, Nat, realistically, I'm going to be backing Mike Tomlin. 
I think the Steelers are going to be looking for a revenge game. And Mike Tomlin is 40-20-2 as an underdog against the spread as Pittsburgh's head coach. They're off a bye week. I don't think they can win the game necessarily, but I think they can definitely keep it close. I think Tomlin in this spot is going to have this one marked in his card after what happened in the playoffs last year. And I think this is going to be, mm. in the same way we saw from the Bengals last week, I think this might be a statement game from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, do you think there's a chance that people will pile on to the Browns on Sunday because yes. of that kind of team? And then if the line, so the line could go to three and a half, potentially. The line is at three and a half. Oh, it's at three and a half now. So it could go... Oh, I think sorry, it'll I go to four, four, four and a half. Three. I, I think like it'll it. go to... Yeah, I think it'll go to four and a half. I'm going to watch I, that four. line. I think if it gets up there, I think I might take a bit of Steelers there if it does. Uh, yeah, well, I've just read your score comment there, uh, hmm. uh, column, and you back the Steelers to win. Straight up. That's right. I, I did, although I did make the point in that column that... I, and I wrote that column. God, when did I write that? This is the difficulty of writing a picks column. It was yesterday, so Thursday, uh, when... I think I was on the Cleveland IR report uh, yeah, <laughs> because everybody else seemed to be. So I did make the point that they're hugely banged up. And I think just to be clear, proper throw me under the bus here, leading Pittsburgh if the Browns stay banged up. So I'm if, if let's say if 75% of those key protagonists that are on the fence to start are out, then I'm, then I'm going Pittsburgh, but certainly, um, certainly four and a half. I like a four, four and a half. I like the look of a lot. No, definitely. I think the Steelers are well coached. I think they're, they're one of the least penalized teams in the league, whereas the Browns are one of the most, I just think the Steelers are going to be able to keep this one close. I think they'll be able to prevent this, Brown's offense from getting anything really rolling. I mean, they've got Chubb back most likely, but they mm. won't have their full offensive line, and they also don't have Kareem Hunt to support to complement him. And you're either going to get a banged up Baker or a Case Keenum. I just don't think that is a great recipe against the Steelers' defense, which is just, especially from the pass rush perspective, elite. It's like going into some hipster burger joint in Cleveland. And you look at the menu and it's, uh, I don't know, I'm going to have the banged up baker. Yeah, all the case, you get a bit chorizo in there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Miami uh, at Buffalo next. Buffalo, unsurprisingly, are heavy for double digit favorites. Uh, yes. In this one. How big has that handicap got now? What are Buffalo as of? The Buffalo are currently 13 and a half point favorites and the over-under is at 48 and a half. I th- honestly think this number, considering this is a divisional matchup between mm-hmm. two teams, one team that made the playoffs last year and one team that was incredibly close to making the playoffs last year. I think that this number has been inflated by the state of the Miami Dolphins organization right now. Yeah, no doubt. I think it has. And I think that's a dangerous number. Uh, it, it depends to where you look at it because we talked about, and it's paid off actually, I think the narrative a few times this season when there's off the field controversy and focus and hype, uh, undue focus and hype. So the Jags, for example, getting it done in London. Uh, oh, but after the, the first week of that Urban Meyer story breaking, getting shellacked, the Raiders backs against the wall. We don't need Gruden. We're better because outside of Gruden, everyone would try to write them off anyway as, oh, well, we knew the Raiders were going to revert to type. They were, you know, never as good as everyone was saying in the first few weeks. Well, they've they've hit back as well. But the Gruden thing in particular seems to have galvanized them. So, yeah, is this going to be a case of the locker room is behind Tua, plays for Tua, balls out, don't know what's going on behind the scenes there in terms of who is pulling the strings on this play apparent play for Deshaun Watson, right? And it might come out in the wash and it could conceivably 
be the case, logically be the case that there is division in that organization. I mean, we saw this in New England with Garoppolo and Brady, right? Kraft and Belichick had you know, very contrasting opinions about what they wanted to do. So the idea that Chris Greer and Flores, the ownership, uh, maybe on different sides of this one, isn't outside the realms of possibility. So I wonder how this plays out. Does this distraction in an abject season for Miami anyway, with nothing really to play for apart from we're still a good side, even though a record doesn't suggest it. Does that shoot them up and make them a really tough opponent for Buffalo or do they crash and burn? I have a question for you, Nat. Ask me. Slightly putting you on the hot seat here because I know you interviewed him two weeks ago and we've notoriously been a massive fan of Flores throughout his tenure at the Miami Dolphins. But it does feel like the jury is now closing in on him a little bit. It does feel like this this team is not well run. Yeah, I think that's a jump to say I don't think the team is well run. You know, this is something that we talked about. I talked about with Shane on the show this week. The and and it's we joke a lot about it on this show, you and I, and it's becoming commonplace in in the NFL, really in in sports these days, ridiculous overreaction, right? And we were talking about it specifically with regards to the Chargers, who haven't suddenly become a bad team because they got beaten by the Ravens. We looked at last season and the Bucks getting blown away and we all know that played out. And so the fact that there is a, a, an overreaction to one game or the Chiefs as well, uh, I know that's maybe more contentious right now because that is really dividing opinion. A lot of people I respect are saying, I think that's it. You know, and uh, I, I still cannot buy that. I still cannot buy the idea that the Chiefs has suddenly become uh, an indifferent side. I just I'm not buying it. But the point remains that it's easy on the basis of a small sample size to, to form a really firm conclusion. And often it is, doesn't play out that way. Shane was saying on the show that the easier games to come back from, and he said the year they won the Super Bowl, they had one of the heaviest defeats Belichick had ever had. I, I can't remember which game it was, but he was referencing it. And he said, those defeats are easier to bounce back from than the really narrow defeats. And the reaction in an organization like the Patriots, when you lose in that way is, okay, you know what? We're just going to put it down to a bad day at the office. So teams have them. And if you look at the... Yeah, but the, Dolphins just, the Dolphins just lost two really, really close games yeah. to two really, really bad teams. Bad teams, but yeah. So that's coin flip. You look at you look at the performance versus result. That's something I think you really need to look at. Look, there's no masking the Dolphins have been bad this season. Although I do think there's a reasonable amount of context to be put in to play here, right? So, but kind of self-inflicted context. Do you not think? How so? In the sense where I think the context with Tua being banged up to a certain extent, obviously yeah. that that plays a massive role. But since he's come back. Why are these rumours coming out now? And um, I know we're getting close to the trade deadline, but why didn't they do it necessarily earlier when Tua was banged I, up? Like, Because all they've done now is when they brought Tua back for two very winnable games, mm-hmm. just made the situation surrounding the team very uncomfortable, don't you think? I totally agree with that, but I don't think that's necessarily on Flores. I, you know, and this is my point at the beginning, like where this is coming from doesn't necessarily stand to reason that Flores is the one that, that's instigating the change. Looking at the numbers, right? Because the question is, is Flores lost the locker room? Is he the guy to go forward? That's what all this speculation is. And I think because you know how much I advocate patience and time and not overreacting, not to one or two results, even a bad season. 
They lost to the Patriots by a point. They lost in overtime to a field goal to the Raiders. They lost right at the death, the last kick of the game to the Jags. I know they're not a great team. They lost by two points to the Falcons. These are close defeats. And I know it's easy to say, well, you know, if if it had gone a different way, then that could be four wins, but they didn't win them. So of course there has to be accountability for that. But we've all been watching this game long enough to know that you play those games a hundred times, 50 times the Dolphins win those games, right? They're close games that narrow margins. So I don't think, sure, the Bills, they got blown out. The Bucks blew them out. But I don't think there are undue, there is undue cause for concern that he's not the right guy at the moment. I think this idea that you're going to tear, blow that up, particularly the, the game plan they've had to date. You know, I said at the start of the season, I was skeptical about the Dolphins this season. I think they were being overhyped. I didn't think they were, well, I thought they would struggle to make the playoffs. I didn't think things would be this bad defensively, but I wasn't buying that they were ready yet. I still think it's a work in, work in progress. And I think they've got a back florist to, to keep it going, at least for another season. It's sad for Miami because you've just gone through a complete and utter revamp where mm. one season where you basically ripped your core to shreds and then just rebuilt it for the next season, had instant success. But then this immediate regression, everything kind of going on around it. I mean, you just... And also, my from just a complete coaching perspective... I have a really big issue with the way that they have handled the whole tour situation. You made a great point about last season, the way they brought Fitzpatrick in Mm -hmm. to close out games. And also just in the same way that they did, they have done nothing to fix this offensive line or they have tried to and they've failed. Yeah, they've tried to and they've failed. That's that's Chris Greer and that's the... No, that is true. That is true. Well, actually, to be fair, it could be a bit of both. I think it's a bit of both, realistically, because they've got players who aren't necessarily... Like, if you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, they changed their offensive line coach and they haven't actually invested that much money into it whatsoever. And I was questioning that going into the season, Mm -hmm. but they have massive, dramatically improved just through the coaching. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's an argument there that an offensive line can be massively impacted by the coaching. But we digress. I I do agree with you to a certain extent, but I think he's I think he's in I think he's in a little bit of trouble. It doesn't sound great what's coming out of that locker room from the reports that I've read. Lem Lem Jean Pierre is the uh, Dolphins offensive line coach, 34 years old. Almost as young as you all. Uh, and yeah. first year offensive line coach in the NFL. Yeah. Well, not Could doing be a good job. Lem. Lem might be. Sorry, Lem. But He's young enough to change careers. Are we getting into this at all? Are you going to take, are you going to, are you going to, based on what you said, you might take the, take the bills there. I think it's a terrible matchup for the Dolphins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Miami currently have the NFL's worst defense, 415 yards per game being surrendered by them. The Buffalo is the NFL's number two scoring offense with 33.8 points per game on average. The Buffalo Bills can cover big spreads like this. Mm. We know about it. I think now what I've just said there, I think McDermott is a much better coach than Brian Flores from what we've seen, or at least this season, he's got a much better team to play with. McDermott is 4-0 coming off a bye since he's been the Bills head coach. Buffalo's 9-1 in its last 10 home games. This Bills defense is elite and clearly has the Dolphins number. Mm. Like they've had two shutouts posted already this season. One of them was against the Dolphins. Yeah. Buffalo has the NFL leading takeaway ratio with plus 11. Tua has thrown seven interceptions in his last five games. He only had two picks through his first nine. That doesn't make much sense to me, but I think how poor his offensive line has been this season is playing a massive role in that. I mean, the Bills have covered minus 13 and a half in three of the last four games when facing the Dolphins. I don't see why they don't here. Mm. 
Uh, it's compelling stuff, compelling stuff. And 13 and a half is a big old number, but, but uh, Ollie's put a strong argument forward for it. I'm going to steer clear of it. I, I would say that two uh, numbers. Back the Dolphins on the Squawker column, though, Nat. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you actually had to think for a minute if I had or not. <laughs> that is not fair. The uh, I did actually take some outlandish picks on there because I've got to try and. Yeah, I did see. Li- I did see a guy about that. I've got a few. Well, hey, more of that in a minute. I've got. Um, I, I'm worried that I'm doing the classic thing now that we're two thirty a.m. in the casino hall in Vegas next year's draft. Cast your mind forward to that. And what started is a really like half ten. We've had some dinner, a few drinks, hit the tables. By midnight, we got big piles of chips and this is looking good. Uh, and by 2.30 a.m., those chips had gone down a fair bit and now I'm doubling down on, on yeah, things I shouldn't yeah. do. And that's, that's where, where I'm worried. My picks had such, had such a strong start to the season and now it's gone off the rails. And now I'm, now I'm worried I'm chasing. I'm chasing a little bit. But Miami, I, yeah, I, uh, I just heartbroken on how the tour situation has been handled and, and it is a mess. But keep the faith in Flores is what I'm saying there. Right, Chicago, San Francisco. Yeah. In Chicago. Um, ugly. God, is it ugly? It is ugly. They, t- team that is more likely to make the playoffs. It's the Bears, isn't it? I think. Do you think? I think it is. <laughs> I actually think it is. I think the Bears what, might have yeah, a better Just shot. because of the division. I described this in my singles. We're going to plug my scorecard column 27 times on this show. Uh, I described this as this particular game this weekend as the footballing equivalent of the Maroon 5 Super Bowl halftime show. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. I mean, that is spot on. Just, that is spot on. These teams. should be that, right? At the start of the season, we were like, oh, this could be Fields Lance. This could be two playoff battles, you know. And now it's just, yeah. Yeah, these teams had a combined nine turnovers last week. Oof. It is rough. Do you know who has the lowest quarterback rating in the league this season now? Is it Justin Fields? It's Justin Fields. Yeah. yeah Even yeah. lower than Zach Wilson and Davis Mills. Chicago are averaging 14.4 wow. points per game. I mean, wow. it, like, it doesn't get more. I haven't seen offenses this trepid in a long, long time. It is horrendous. Because it, it, we were talking to our friend. Ben Isaacs, of course, a regular on the show, who's a big Bears fan. And after the complete mess of Fields' his first start, Matt Nagy handed over play calling duties, right? And things started looking up a bit and they just, so they just regressed again. So I was just looking at what trepid means. Did I just use that word correctly? Intrepid. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I definitely just used that. That word definitely does not make any sense. I've never seen an offense more intrepid. <laughs> more trepid that definitely doesn't make any love, sense does inept it? I think you meant inept yeah yeah that definitely this is staying in. it's early in the morning it's this early in the morning yeah fine I'll leave that in. in I'll leave that no, in I didn't you know, question you say, it you know you just say a word and you're just like you're just like that definitely is not the word that I was looking for and I would love it if we could get you somehow into a Bears presser and you could uh, in, why in is this offence so intrepid Plumpton, Plumpton straight out of Plumpton you could say um yeah, uh, Coach Nagy, I'm I'm really curious as to why you think this this Bears office is so intrepid. <laughs> let, yeah. let that hang. Sorry, what was your question, Nat? What was your question? Uh, things seem to be looking up when the play calling duties were handed over. I mean, yeah, I'm just really get, get my head around this Justin Fields terrible start. That's all on Nagy. It's too soon. It's too soon. Well, but it gives the play calling duties to somebody else. Things suddenly are, oh, they've worked out how to use him. This is loads better. And then uh, now he's got the worst quarterback rating in the NFL. I honestly just think this is a case of it being too soon. 
for mm. Justin Fields. Um, I just think that he doesn't look ready for the NFL. I mean, Shane Vereen was saying it on the show, brilliant mm-hmm. show, Shane Vereen, about how there's just this expectation now that people need to be able to come into the NFL and immediately start. Right. And there's, and he was talking about how that half a second, you can't miss that half a second. You have to be on it the whole time. I think Justin Fields, he just looks raw. Who knows what Patrick Mahomes would have looked like if he came out and started immediately in that first season for the Kansas City Chiefs. We don't know. He could have looked like this because yeah. he wasn't ready for, for the game. He maybe didn't know the offense well enough. And I think that's just the case of what we're seeing right now from Justin Fields. I just yeah. don't think we can... I don't think you can go away and call players like Zach Wilson and Justin Fields flops yeah. this early on. As you've said many a time with Tua, it's already too early to call Tua not good enough, even though he's performed much better than these two quarterbacks. Right. Like... I love Alan Robinson. I think he's great. I like Darnell Mooney, but their offensive line sucks realistically. Mm. And when you've got a bad offensive line and a bad quarterback, it's hard to get offense rolling. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, the, the 49ers have, have been hit by injury again, right? Uh, I mean, not to the same degree as last season, but, but affected nevertheless this year. Are you surprised that notwithstanding how bad they've been? Yes. I think I, I think what I'd be most surprised about is how bad the coaching has been. Yeah, you were quite anti-Shanahan. Yeah, that was coming up, wasn't it? Were you talking about that last week's show? We were sort of no, it was before we did the show with before you did the show with Mike, Mike on Monday. Yeah, I was yeah. just, I think there's just moments where they looked poorly coached. Like at critical moments, they would get penalized. Mm. And it just, they're in the middle of the pack for seemingly everything. But this creative run game that we saw lead them to the Super Bowl that seems to have disappeared. And I know they're banged up. I know that they seem to have a different running back every single week, but like against the Colts, Elijah Mitchell was rolling and they kind of seem to abandon that and go to Jimmy G who is getting slated right now on Twitter. Let's be honest. He's, I would say he's the, he's like right now he's the quarterback where all you see of him is him missing open looks on Twitter. Everywhere you go, there's just somewhat some analyst from the NFL who circled Brandon Ayuk, who would have yes. taken it to the house if Jimmy G hadn't checked the ball down. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. In terms of quarterback power rankings with regards to Twitter vitriol and dissing, is it, is it Donald one? Donald Jimmy one, Jimmy two? G two, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think those, I think those are the two realistically, but this is, and this is a horrible game to bet Nat. realistically, if we're bringing, mm. if we're bringing the edge, it's a horrible game to bet from, from many a reason. I think the over, incredibly, in just 36 hours, the total was bet down from 43 to 39 and a half. Wow. Even though the weather conditions seem to be favorable, Jimmy G is coming back. Well, Jimmy G is back. That's why, and, that why they have total. Yeah, and that's probably why it is. But Chicago's games have hit the under in all but one game this season. So Chicago have been one of the strongest under teams. But because this is such an ugly game now, and because these teams are so hard to decipher in terms of what they're going to do week on week, uh, this is one where you put your gambling hat on and I think you play the number mm-hmm. and not the team. And I think four points is a lot to be laying for the Bears going up against a 49ers team, which is unproven. Yeah. The 49ers are one and five against the spread this season, one and nine against the spread as favorites in their last 10 games, oh and five against the spread against a team with a losing record. And Chicago are four and one against the spread against a team with a losing record. So looking at all of those numbers, I think in the same way that the market is always inflated towards the Chiefs because of what we've seen from them over the past two seasons. Mm -hmm. I think going into this, having so many of the 
Sharps having 49ers as their surprise team of the year or the team to basically like the comeback team of the year. And obviously we saw them be a Super Bowl team two years ago and there's still so much talent on that roster. I think we sometimes see the same impact on the 49ers in terms mm-hmm. of the market favouring them a little bit more than it should be. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one where this is two two bad teams and I think the situation is, despite the fact that it looks like, well, actually, Khalil Mack is definitely out, which is a bad use for the Bears. Mm. I just think four points is too much. It's just too much. Yeah, it's a good argument. I uh, I definitely would be leaning Bears for the points as well. But as you said, that's a tough one to pick. Uh, unlike our Drew Locks of the week, uh, which, as you said, at the top of the show, five and two this season, we're both. So pretty good shape with our Drew Locks of the week. The pressure's on. Do you want to go first or I'm happy to go first if you want? Which way do you, uh, not that we've gone for the same, well, I'm guessing because we haven't conferred. I doubt if we've gone for the same I thing. I doubt we've gone, gone for the same one. Mine's controversial. Ooh, have you gone for yeah. an under? No, I haven't gone for an under, but I have, plump I've gone for the Panthers plus three. I, I love it. I've gone for the Falcons. <laughs> no way, really. I love this. I love it. Okay. I Listeners, I promise you we have not conferred on this at all. So... Wow. Okay. Okay. okay I, you made your you made your case. I think, and I could. T- it's so funny that you've gone for this because I. I'm sure the sharps are all over the Panthers. You're telling yeah, me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course they are. Because as we we talked about a lot this season, we talked about six seconds ago. Sam Darnold's done. The Panthers are terrible. And how the hell did we fall for them in the first place? And you know things will will revert. But I think this Atlanta site, look, I, I'm worried about this in some ways because back in Atlanta seems totally counterintuitive. In so I mean, ways, the fact but- that the fact that both me and you are going with our locks as respective of the fact that they're playing each other. Each other. It's, it's the a- fact that we've gone for the Panthers and the Falcons are Drew Locks shows how rattled we are. Yes, but it's as, a as an already. The, rely on putting our, putting our <laughs> true locks is the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons, two of the most unpredictable teams in the NFL, is an interesting one to say the least. I think Matt Ryan is 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 balling. I do. He is I think balling. He's yeah. balling. I think Carl Pitts, as, as we saw, emerged in London. Uh, I think it's a, they've got a, a belief that they obviously didn't have before. It's at home. Carolina are messy. I mean. Look at look at the to underpin the Ryan's balling since week four. He is the highest graded quarterback in the NFL as per PFF, the highest graded quarterback in the NFL. And a lot of this is down and this is pointed out. Um, PFF is a, is a great website. I know it gets a mixed opinion at times. And, and you know, there's so much volume of content on there that not everything is going to, going to hit the mark, but there's some really good, you love the data, all there's some really good data and analysis that underpins broader narratives. So you can really start to seek out, okay, let's let's look at the numbers a little bit more here. He has almost doubled his depth of target since they've got their passing game going in that time. So 9.6 is his average now. That's top 10 in the league from wherever they were, like rank dead last or kind of bottom three. The passing game is rolling and I think they can exploit exploit Carolina. I, I like the that matchup very much, this Atlanta offense against this, this Carolina D in the secondary in particular. The flip side of that is Sam Darnold's, I mean, he's, who's starting a quarterback this weekend? I mean, it's the, the offense is, is done, right? I mean, Carolina's done. 
You could, well, I mean, well, yeah, you can say the Carolina's done, or you can say that what you've been saying for this whole episode is massive overreactions. <laughs> and I think, yeah, but I think it's, we've sort of seen from sure. Sam Donald in recent weeks, he has been seeing ghosts again and he has been poor. But what I expect from this game, again, I'm not laying the team here. I'm playing the points. And I think three points is just too much in a divisional matchup like this, where realistically the Carolina Panthers have to win. Mm-hmm. I'm a Matt Rule fan. Mm-hmm. I believe in what Matt Rule is trying to do with that team. And I think in spite of Sam Darnold, they should be able to keep this game close. Their passing defense has dropped off a cliff over the past three weeks after being one of the best passing Ds in the NFL. They still mm. rank, have the second best average passing yards um, conceded in any team in the NFL with only 197.1 per, ga- 197. per game, mm. which realistically going up against this Falcons team, which is pass heavy, is a good sign, but they are a little bit banked up, but they get Shaq Thompson back. I think this defense will be much better this week. And I think they will cause the Falcons problems. And also it's the Atlanta Falcons. Like they have managed to beat the Dolphins and the Jets. And suddenly now everyone's back on the Falcons bandwagon when realistically they love to make big mistakes in games and keep them close. I think Matt Rule is a better head coach than Arthur Smith. I think Arthur Smith, I obviously he's only what, six games into his career, but I still think he's trying to find his feet, find his identity, and I don't think it's going to be found this season. I think he'll probably take it into next year. My only fear, to be honest with you, going into this game is Carl Pitts. I think Carl Pitts has already announced himself as one of the top five receiving tight ends in the league. He was absolutely ridiculous last week. I think going up against Xavier Howard, he absolutely torched him, and I think we're going to see him do a lot of that to a lot of very good cornerbacks throughout his, throughout his time in the league. He's my yeah. only fear. Him and Matt Ryan are my only fear going into this. But only fear? Ridley, Gage, Corderell? Come on. Come no, on. but they're not. They're not they're like, but I just don't see them. Fine, you can go to the other side of the ball. Chuba Hubbard has been balling for the Carolina Panthers. Mm. DJ Moore is arguably had a better year than Calvin Ridley, despite what everyone was saying going into it. They've still got Robbie Anderson. They've got yeah. a tight end with the name Tommy Tremble. What more could you want? Stephen, like, Stephen Gilmore's going to be playing in this game what as well. More would you want? I love that. That's the that's the deciding argument. That's the mic drop. Like Tommy Tremble. What more do you want? Oh, you don't need to say anymore. Just drop the mic and walk off stage. You got it. Tommy Tremble. Stephen Gilmore's going to be playing that. He'll be able to lock up your I beloved love, Calvin Ridley. I love this. What's what kick? What's the kickoff time on this one? It tell me it'll be six o'clock, o'clock, won't it? Yeah, or five, five o'clock. o'clock. Amazing. So we're going to be <laughs> we're going to be on air when this is going down. Come on, the Falcons. I love it. I love it. Time for your uh, prop bets, Alt. Prop bets. First one is my beloved Cincinnati Bengals related, of course. The team is rolling right now, but I'm not going to go for the one that probably everyone is thinking. I'm going to go T. Higgins to have over 57 and a half receiving yards. The world has been made aware of the brilliance of Jamar Chase now, and it is completely justified. But what it does mean is that opposition defences now have to focus primarily on him and stopping his chemistry with Joe Burrow. And that should allow T. Higgins to prosper. He did it last week against the Ravens, seven receptions for 62 yards. And against a much worse secondary in the Jets, I expect T. Higgins to have a big game. Nice. My second one, I'm rolling with him now. Sam Darnold over 10 and a half rushing yards. <laughs> <laughs> Donald is starting this, this game and has better. been found out. He has been found out in recent weeks, especially yeah. especially throwing the ball. But <laughs> that's quite a big drawback for it. It is quite a big drawback, but that's why I'm backing his over 10 and a half rushing yards. <laughs> uh, so he can't throw the ball very well, but what he can do is run with the ball well. He starts with four, four touchdowns in his first four games, mm-hmm. which is pretty True. incredible. And apart from the loss last week, he's had 10 or more rushing yards in each game. And the Falcons. Mm 
love to let the QBs move. The Falcons are not very good defensively. I don't think that's a shock. I don't think that's a hot take. Daniel Jones, hot Tua, take. and Taylor Heineke all went comfortably over this number. So I love this spot over 10 and a half rushing yards. And nice. my final one is Chris Godwin over seven, 74 and a half receiving yards. The Saints have a really, really, really good defense. And there's a lot of sharps on the Saints in this game. Mm. Um, just purely because of Sean Payton and how well this defense is playing. But I only think the Saints have one really good corner and that's Marshawn Lattimore. And his sole focus is always on Mike Evans. Like they just have this weird rivalry going up against each other twice a year where they just go back and forth. So I expect Godwin to get a lot more space. And especially with Brown being out, I think Godwin is the most likely person to be open for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what happens when Tom Brady has an open receiver? He throws it to him. So I think he goes over 74 and a half receiving yards. Love it. The prop king of Plumpton back in business, uh, we hope. Right. Time for our Acker of the Week. Now, we nothing really jumped out at me other than a, a long shot double. So, uh, which we haven't done that only this season, right? We've kind of tended to go for at least minimum of three teams, sometimes four and get around anything from, you know, evens to two and a half to one, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how do you feel about, because you mentioned Gino at the top of the show and how Gino has rained on your parade recently, right? Yeah. Can I just say something quickly now? Mm. Your 15-fold week eight accumulator on Squawker, you know <laughs> what the odds are? Yeah. Go on. What is it? 4,083 to one. <laughs> Go on, let's put a quid on it. I mean, I've made some outlandish picks. I, I could really live to regret this weekend. Um, some extraordinary picks. I know you've gone the Bears to win outright. Yeah. And I won't give away Steelers to win outright. I know with your asterisk next to it, but I won't give away your mm-hmm. next two because the, these are these are coming up. These well, are your, this is your underdog acker of the week now. I'm going to, you say we, I'm going to leave this one to you. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about what did you say the odds were? 4,001. 4,083 to one. Well, all I say to you there, Al, is you only fail if you quit. <laughs> oh, and you, also, you only fail if you quit. And also you only fail if um, if you, if you back, back the cards as well. So that back, act is actually yeah. already, that act is actually that already act lost. Already, already, <laughs> already in, the, in the pan. Uh, thank you and good night, Julio. Um, okay. I think there is... The Lions have got to win at some point this season, right? Right? I mean, the Lions have got... Oh, are they going winners? No. No, you d- what? No, they're not going winless. Or well, no? I, don't, I don't think that they might not win. God, uh, of course, the they went winless back in 2008, and that's when Matt Stafford appeared on the scene. So, I looking at a double, and this is obviously long shot because the odds are going to be around six, seven to one, I think. Uh, a Jacksonville Detroit double. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's bold. It's bold. I actually really like the Jacksonville play, to be completely yeah. honest with you, but that's because you know I'm probably one of the lowest people on the Seattle Seahawks there is. So that's yes. that's definitely a, a propo favourite because I just I will Off always back week. against Geno Smith. Off a bye week against Geno. The Detroit game, it's against Philly, obviously, in Detroit. Philly are bad. Philly are bad. They're and, really and- bad. Detroit, uh, you know, they they are they're playing for Campbell. You know, I I I think something has to come good at some point. If you look at their spots, they any team, no team yeah. is going to want to go through the season winless. Hot take, but they they will be looking whether they're discussing it openly or not. They will be looking at the second half of the season, thinking, okay, which of you know we've got to get something going here, and uh, the motivation for them far outweighs. I think Philly are just another one of these 
below the middle, ambling along. I don't rate Nick Sirianni at all either. Sirianni, questions there. Uh, I... I have a sneaky feeling. Well, I think the Lions will ball hard in this game. I know that there are massive concerns about lack of depth in the receiving core in particular. I don't think Goff is as bad as everyone's suggesting. We know his limits and he is the definition of a limited quarterback, but he is not um, sticking up the joint like others in, in the league right now. Swift with DeAndre Swift and him getting going. they got... A shot. I know the the high point of this Eagles side is the defense and Javon Hargrave. You know, has been the standout player for them this season. There's no doubt about that. Um, and I guess that is a concern that that the the battle in the trenches could swing the Eagles' way and things could get messy if Goff doesn't have enough time, particularly the limited options. Mm-hmm. But so it's a long shot. But I just think the fight in this Lions side. I think the Eagles are pretty directionless, not buying Jalen Hurts. Sneaky double, long shot double. So that is throwing it out there with the asterisk. It's a gamble in the purest sense of the term. Incidentally, uh, PFF, give the Eagles a what percentage chance to make the playoffs or? Oh, 15. 12. 12. <laughs> 12%. That's pretty close. My only fear with the Lions pick now, absolutely. I think there is value there. My only fear is um, backing a team off the back of what I call their regular season Super Bowl, where Mm. they realistically had last week circled on their calendar Mm. for a long, long time. Because realistically, it was one way you're going up against your old quarterback who didn't think you were good enough. Yeah. And you're going up against... Goff's got... Goff's got going up against a team who thought he wasn't good enough. And I thought they did everything in their power... And they co- that game was so well coached from the Lions' perspective. They right. gave their team the best opportunity to win. Yeah, I just don't think they're going to be able to replicate that against the Eagles this week. But at the same time... I'd use that as an argument. As a pos- I get it. I get the kind of emotional fatigue, but I'd use that as a positive. Exactly that, the Campbell. I think the mistake to make about him is because he's heart on his sleeve and old school in his demeanor and everything else that, yeah, I think that was a great example of some very smart coaching and reason cause for optimism for the Lions, for sure, the, the way that he handled that. And the team is balling for them. You know, they are playing for him. This is not a good team and they're playing for him. So, But they I are think- going, I'm looking at their record, they are going close, close, close loss, blowout, close loss, blowout, yeah, yeah. close loss, blowout. Yeah. That's my only fear with this team is I do think their talent comes in sort of every other week and you can't every week you can't have sort of coaching masterclasses keeping a, a roster that lacks a ridiculous amount of talent. Yeah. Overperforming okay. week in week out. That is my only fear because I think a lot of people are on the Lions this week. I think most of the mm. tickets have actually been cashed on the Lions ah. because of that exact reason everyone thinks the Eagles are terrible. Mm. And everyone thinks that everyone, I think the Lions are like everyone's favorite winless team. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because of Dan Campbell and because of the fight that we see. Everyone's favorite poor, yeah. Weak team. They just want to, yeah. Want to see him, want to see him succeed. Have you got an alternative, Akarol, or are we going to go with the long shot? Um, I'm going to go with uh, the Nat Coombs, Akka minus the Cardinals. So it's the Bengals, the Titans, the Rams, the Steelers, the Lions, the Bears. The Falcons, <laughs> the Bills, there. the Patriots, yeah. the Jags, the Broncos, the Cowboys, the Bucks, and the Chiefs. 
God, and I reckon that's going to be about two thousand, two and a half thousand. All right, I want to see that ticket, Paul. I want you to bring that into the studio on Sunday. I want to see proof of that ticket cashed. All right, uh, I'll be squawking all the way to the bank if that wins. Now, <laughs> I see what you did there. I think we're done. I think that is it. We have got uh, a lot more coming your way, of course. Uh, coming in to the midway point of the season, so we're back on Monday. I Mike in his regular review spot. College Day's back next week. We had a break from College Day's this week, but fear not. Uh, ben, and Ben's doubling down as well. So College Day's, and he's doing our week nine preview show as well. Edge Rush back too. And as I mentioned, in back in the vault this week, check out Shane Marine in fine fettle. Iron Mike ditto on Monday. Some really strong insight from him as ever. Shout out to all of you bigging us up on social, getting in touch on social uh, at the NC show, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and Twitter, and those taking time to leave a comment on whichever pod platform you listen to us on. We massively appreciate that because all it helps the algorithm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Have you drawn, can you draw a, some kind of picture to describe, explain how that works? Cause it's I'm a circle circle with an arrow pointing upwards. Yeah. There's just a circle with, mm. um, you need reviews just constantly in the circle because it's like the cycle of life basically is the way I describe it. What is the the big new Facebook thing with the rebrand that uh, Meta Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg's going on about the Meta Universe? The Meta Universe, yeah. Well, I mean, it, Facebook has needed a rebrand for a while now. Um, they just don't have. I think the big the, the reason that Facebook are rebranding now is because they realised if they've lost Jackson Mahomes to TikTok, then <laughs> realistically they need to rethink their their whole PR their whole PR look because he's obviously such a star. You know? Please reach out to Jackson Mahomes and let's try and get him on the show. It is, let's do like a deadpan series. We're really have you seen that? I sent there's a brilliant TikTok out there which I sent to Nat earlier in the week where. Jackson is doing a TikTok dance with Pat's wife and you can just see Pat sitting at the dinner table with his head just down and looking just so sad. Uh, so please, sad. Please stop. Funny. Please stop doing this. Uh, so more Jackson Mahomes chat next week as well. Um, good luck this weekend. If you're going to take some action, uh, be careful, be sensible. If you are, uh, we certainly are. And uh, it's going to be interesting. Next Edge Rush, there will be a leader in the Nat versus Ollie head to head. So uh, is it going to be the Falcons is going to be the Panthers. Find out, listeners. Stay tuned. We will be back Monday with our mic. We'll see you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.